Welcome back to Following Noah on a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 154, and we are continuing through Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. We are ending part two and entering part three, apparently, um, this week. When I made those chapter splits, I didn't know that was going to be the case. But we're ending part two. Uh, how are you doing, Elliot? I'm doing excellent. I'm still just marveling at the beauty of this book. If 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 you did not order one of the physical copies of this book, which unfortunately I'm one of those because this is your copy that you're very generously lending, we missed out. This is this is something special. You can still order them. They I might uh, just do that. There, the, you can order the four month late versions that'll come in what October to November or something like that. Paul, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm 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 really excited to talk about. Yumi and the Nightmare Painter this week, and yeah, not much else to say out of the gate, but I, I'm actually really excited. I've, I've enjoyed going through the secret project and kind of just having a kind of a completely different view at a uh, like standalone Brandon Sanderson book, so yeah. If you are listening on audio for us, and you're also listening on audio for the book, I'll be including some of the illustrations in our YouTube uh, feed when, while, we're be, while we will be talking about them. Um, so if you want to go see what we're talking about with those, um, you can pull up our YouTube videos uh, to look at those. I try to include them, especially the full color ones. There's some, some great ones. And I try to show them off when we get to them. So let's roll intro and then talk about chapters 16, 17, and 18 of Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. Do either one of you want to start off with chapter 16? I got us. So chapter 16, we end up heading back to the noodle shop. What's the name of this noodle shop? It's the the noodle pupil? Yes, the like noodle that. pupil. Yes. Because she's... I don't love that name. She's studying how to pre prepare noodles. So she's named it the noodle pupil. It's a hard to say name, but turning out to be some of my favorite scenes I think are happening in the the noodle shop and this was a this was a good one we got to see a little bit more about Kane's friends a little bit more about kind of each one of those get to learn about their personalities I did feel I want to get you guys' thoughts on these other characters I did I did not write down all their names but there's like four or five of them there at the table there's, there's Izzy, Makana, Makama, um, Tojin to is the... Yeah, Tojin is the big burly dude, and then which, Akane. Which, by the way, they the way they say it in the audiobook is Tojin, yes. which I hate. They say Tojin. I, I an, personally like... It's an IM. It's I pulled a... up the ebook. Okay. I, I... I just... The, the, the pronunciation just... It sounds... Toe gene. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> the I enjoyed meeting these characters. It felt a little bit like these characters were a little bit caricaturized, if I, that's a word. I thought so too. They they seem very 
exaggerated in their different quirks and, and nuances. And that, that was the first moment where it felt to me like this was a manga. And I am I'm stepping outside of my knowledge base saying that actually, because I've never actually read a manga like from start to finish. But based on what I know and some of the, maybe it's stereotypes associated with those. I, I can't really speak to it. I'm sure some of you guys listening probably can a lot, a lot more, but some of the more kind of exaggerated way of portraying things seemed to be a bit of the manga influence coming out. What, what did you guys think? I think that's a good way to put it. I definitely, I think internally I arrived at the same conclusion that the characters are very exaggerated, but I hadn't like put my finger on it, I guess, and really been like, like made it a point, but you're very right. Especially like, I mean, I feel like we get a description of Tojin as just like absolute like meathead bodybuilder, you know, like, yeah. It is very, the characters are very extreme, um, which makes me wonder a little bit, this is, I guess, a side note, about Painter, because it's kind of like his, this is like his group, isn't it? Like his Where it was, sort of yeah. Friend group. Yeah, his it was group. his friend group, because they're all very out there, and he, basically everything we see of Painter makes me think he is, like, average, like he's just kind of a... a a guy average joe yeah yeah you know i i agree with you i came to the same conclusion maybe not so consciously as you did elliot but when characters presented like that i always feel like it brings the target audience of the book down in age um i feel like this is a younger book than uh, Prince and Stormlight would be, or Mistborn. I, I, there's, I've yet to see, like a serious dark tone, besides maybe the nightmare attacking the four year old boy in whatever that was, chapter seven. Um, until since then, we've been been shopping, and our biggest tension points have been the old teacher lady being mad at Painter and his bumbling self. Um, so. I, and I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. I'm just, just as an observation, I think the target audience for this book is younger than um, the Stormlit Archive. Um, that being said, I'm really enjoying um, the tone of this book. I think it's a very interesting deviation from his normal Cosmere, if that's a thing, um, than his uh, than his normal Cosmere book. So. Yes, uh, reading modern stereotypes and modern items in a Brandon Sanderson book is really odd. I, I haven't gotten over it, and I've read Skyward, and it's a sci-fi, um, and I've read Mistborn Era 2, which is like a 1800s, like, cyber, not cyberpunk, um, steampunk, um, kind of, uh, that's doing it a disservice, but you get the idea. Um, but hearing soap and shampoo and horoscopes and clicks and you know dressing racks and in the sanderson book is i haven't gotten over it. it's very strange you can just hop on the heon bus down to the supermarket and pick up your uh your your dinner for tonight and then stop by the the noodle shop on the way home 
in that example, are you having two dinners? Pick up dinner and then on the way home, stop. Up. Sorry, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being ridiculous, but you know, I was just, just thinking about I'm it. Glad, take out for later. I'm but, glad you caught you that. Have, I didn't catch yeah, that. You, you, you make a really good point, though. It's, it's very, it's very modern. Like, like it is, like you can think of today almost just like it, it, this is all also like a lot of these images that we've seen, I guess, has made me feel like this is maybe more of an urban area than I thought. In my right. head, it was like, more quiet slow pace but it like the public transportation and stuff at least paints a picture for me of more of like a more of a city like like downtown cityscape and i think that's because in the first early chapters painter is out in the outskirts of the city where the nightmares are more um invasive like they don't go super far into the city and they mention that um so the initial thought I had of in my head is not super urban, but then when we get into scenes like this, it's quite modern, quite urban. This might turn into a side tangent, but I do want to explore it real quick. Hoyd has visited this planet in, in this book, right? He knows of photons and buses and, you know, Heon viewers or whatever. Does... Do you guys think at the time of this is going to be a stormlight question? So, um, just fair warning to any listeners. Do you guys think at the time of the stormlight archive? I don't think he's been here specifically, but do you think Hoyd knows of such things and just doesn't break the f- brains of the planet he's on um, and mention them, or do you think he, Hoyd has recently learned of these types of things? I think, I think Hoyd knows about him, right? Like, I feel like he should. I mean, it could still be a timeline thing. Like, if the timeline is completely direct on every single planet, right? Then he could have not, like, it would make sense if he hasn't seen anything like this. I'm racking my brains, but I almost seem to recall a conversation with Hoyd similar to that or maybe it was simpler it was just about like light bulbs or something where he's talking to like a shallan or a calendar or somebody he's like you know it shines like a light bulb oh wait i better not explain that to you or i'll hurt you or something like that somebody somebody says something like that out of out of context i feel like that's in the dog and the dragon maybe maybe i think i i'd lean towards he does know all these things and he puts himself in character when he goes to different planets to do different things and is only going to bring up what's relevant to that situation. I just think it's interesting that if he's attending Roshar to fight Odium and he's writing to Frost in desperation to fight Odium, would he not bring everything that he... Like, it begs the question of, you know, why isn't he bringing a gun to a sword fight, you know? Um... But why doesn't he text Frost? I mean, <laughs> right, way faster than sending a letter, you know? Exactly. Um, but I'm not going to dwell on that too long because I'm fine. Like, just I, I could just tell myself they don't work on Roshar, and the end. Like, you could just go with that answer. Um, so I'm not going to dwell dwell on that too long. I did want to bring it up though because it was brewing in my mind. But 
Uh, we can move on if you guys don't have anything else with that. The uh, There's a conversation in Chapter 16 between Yumi and Painter that I specifically wrote down quotes for. And Yumi is turns to Painter in Chapter 16 and says, I, I'm sorry, we should go back to the apartment. I don't know how to be a person. This is all overwhelming. And Painter said, well, no, it's a good thing you came here because you need practice to be a person. You are a person. And she says, quote, I'm not a person. I'm a concept, a thing owned by society. And I just wanted to highlight that just as not only is that what Yumi thinks of herself, that is what Yumi has been told of herself since she was a baby. And I I do think we're going to thoroughly explore Yumi identifying herself as a person with values. I th I think that's definitely going to be explored here. But I wanted to highlight that just as the full weight of that sentence um and what that might do for Yumi or what that might do for Yumi and Painter's relationship of of how Painter views her and what her needs are um and how she can grow um because of what she's been through and because of what her teacher I can never remember her name. What is her teacher lady's name? Of what she's told Yumi Yumi one. over and over. So I don't remember Lee, for sure. Is Lee it like Wanshi or Leon? Leon Leon. I think that's it. Um I like what you're saying, Trevor, because well I kind of taking the same quote but looking at different direction of I think in our previous episode, I don't remember when we talked about this. I think in our previous episode, Elliot maybe mentioned that some of this story might be, I might be totally off on this, but I think we mentioned that some of the story may be Yumi kind of becoming a person. Like she hasn't really been exposed to the quote real world um, and like kind of a freedom of choice and like normal like socialization and all the elements that make up life um she's just on her task right um and and this i feel like this is a big flag that's saying like yes that is where we're headed you know with yumi it actually reminded me of vin a little bit from the first mistborn book that we just read much more so with Vin, but a little bit with Yumi, I get this feeling of they don't see their true self-worth. And that was a big thing for Vin through the first Mistborn. Still unsolved. I'm still on the kind of on the lookout for some more growth and some more development with Vin to be able to see her own value. But Yumi doesn't really see her own value either. She she sees her value in what she provides for society, but she doesn't, like this quote, Trevor, that you picked kind of highlights, she doesn't view herself as a person. She views herself as, like she says, a concept, a like hog in a the tool. system. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she treats other people kind of like that in a way, too. She's She's polite to others, but she doesn't really know how to interact with them super well like she's just constantly ordering painter around expecting that he's going to obey because it's the right thing to do and while it might be the right thing to do 
that's not always the way you can talk to people or interact with them or, you know, share emotions with them or something like that. So I, I think you might be right on it, Paul. I think that's, this might be the development direction for, for Yumi. Painter that they go back and forth a little bit and painter pushes back on her and says, no, you are a person. you what you view or how you view things does matter. And Yumi said, or Yumi assumes that what the situation that they're in is, if not a punishment, then at least like a predicament. And Painter stops her and says, well, no, what if the reason why we're, we're here together is a reward? What if you are have performed so well that the spirits are rewarding you by being able to visit me and my planet? And Yumi really appreciates um, that, that sentiment that I, I don't think Yumi has been lauded for her efforts ever in her life. And so the concept of being rewarded for her duties is so foreign to her because she does her duties and that is the fulfillment, but painter flipping it on his head for her really rocks her world in 16 here. I think painter is giving her a different perspective to look at things through. I did take that statement from him a little bit differently though he he says they maybe maybe they sent you here as a reward maybe maybe you should look at it differently i almost took that in a little bit of a not quite sarcastic but maybe a little bit snarky of a tone i and maybe i'm reading too much into it but i almost took that as maybe mocking her a little bit okay of of saying you know, oh, well, maybe you need to think about your spirits differently. Maybe this is all just a reward for you. I didn't take it super seriously or, or super prodding into who she is and, and all of that. But but maybe maybe he is. I still think he's the, the foil to her perspective for sure, regardless of how he means it. And I forgot the, uh, the sarcasm font there, so I, I don't know whether he's serious or, or not. Fair. They do have quite a few sarcastic jibes at each other through these chapters. They're beginning to be more comfortable. Yumi even jokes with Painter a couple times. Whoa. So. Huge character for development. <laughs> Massive. <laughs> Yumi said a joke, everyone. It was awesome. And then Just Design walks age. in. We get an actual yeah. full conversation with Design. I'm very excited to talk about this. What did you guys get out of Kick chapter 17? Off. I'll, I'll let someone else start it, and then I'll go okay. off on a rant. So, um, I'll do my best to go through it. Correct me wherever I uh, remember incorrectly. So, they go in, and Design is there, and they're kind of trying to ask Design all the questions to fix their problems, I believe. They're like, um, what do we do? Because Yumi, or sorry, Design can also see Painter. Right. Yes. Right. And she mentions, like, I think she mentions, like, cognitive shadow, right? Does she, like, drop that or, like, imply it? She she assumed her first assumption, which I think is really funny, and I should have seen this coming, um, that design would be a, a key forward here, but her first assumption is that he's dead, 
which has has That's interesting right. implications. She comes around the corner from the back of the kitchen with noodles, like with a bowl of noodles in her hands, and says, Nakara, what happened to you? Did you die? And they're like, I don't think so. We're just swapped and we need help. Um, and so design goes off on random like tangents and she drops a bunch of one-liners that neither of them have any idea what she's talking about. Um, but she'll, she's talking about cause like the Cosmere and romantic realmatic theory as if they're common, like understood things. And so th there are a few, I don't know, token things in here that are pretty fun, but, um, they they have no idea what she's talking about. The the reader, I think, knows more of what's going on here than um any of the three of them, I think. I think I think you're right. Um it it is neat to see though, and I don't know if there's much I can take away from it, but she's with her saying that Nicaro is dead, or like worrying that Nicaro is dead, it like kinda goes into this whole like he he would be a cognitive shadow if he were dead and he were there, right? He would be a cognitive shadow. Um, which, like, my understanding is that he, like, has a level of investiture. I don't know if that's from Yumi. I feel like we've seen that... I feel like you can just, like, tell naturally that Yumi has investiture going on because she's very, like, special in her world, right? She's this whole, like, chosen one kind of trope. Um, I feel like we don't see as much with Nick Carl. However, we, we've kind of had this hint that he has this, like, moment in his past. So it could easily be, like, a covered-up kind of thing. Like, you know, he... Uh, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole, but long story short, our characters here, like, definitely have some investiture going on, if that was already inherently clear like this this was kind of like the uh, a moment to just like really spell it out i guess um but yeah we we get uh, some fun dialogue of talking about the mix between art and stacking right and how it's a combination of like artisticness and math and all this stuff um but yeah, what what else did Joe really take away from Design's talk? I really I thought it was great actually that we got someone to start explaining some stuff to us. We we talked about last episode. I think it was last episode. When is the when is the Gandalf figure going to come and explain the quest that needs to happen? And we didn't we didn't I don't think we quite got that. We didn't get the whole thing. But we at least got the like wise knows a lot of stuff person in design, which completely agree with what you wrote in the outline. Trevor should have been able to see this coming. I, I did a little face palm moment as soon as design saw painter. It was oh, duh! Design is exactly who we should have gone to talk to to help figure all this out. Of course, she's going to know about all of this stuff, or at least some of this stuff. So it was it was good to get some some answers for sure. Probably the biggest one that I noted down was design explains that it is not Yumi's body, but that it is still Painter's body in on Painter's planet. Yeah, which rather confused me at first, but I think it makes sense after I stared at it for a little bit. 
her explanation was just, what did she say? She says that Yumi is highly invested, and therefore her highly investedness morphs Painter's body to look like hers. So at that point, of course, Painter starts freaking out about, well, hang on a second. Do I get my body back later? Which I thought was pretty funny. So I'll, I'll spell that out a little bit more. And here's my here's my theory. I don't know if this is too far-fetched of a theory, but just a little bit more explained. I think because Yumi is so well-practiced with manipulating spirits into objects and manipulating things on the cognitive realm, that when she jumps over to Nicaro's planet, her perception of herself as herself morphs his body to herself and Nicaro ha doesn't have that manipulation of investiture. Um, so even though he still views himself, it, it he hasn't convinced Yumi's body to become Nicaro's body. The stick is still a stick. It's not fire, but Yumi's perception of herself is so strong and her manipulation of investiture is so strong that it just auto morphs to her. Um, like the 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 soul the the bead in the cognitive realm just alters to her um, because she's so well invested. Does that am I confusing you more, or is that the help at all? I'm I'm following. However, if you are joining our podcast and <laughs> having casually picked up this book, then I'm sure what you heard made less than zero sense. Um, and all I have to say is. Uh, don't worry about it. Just don't don't worry about it. I I did use a couple Roshar metaphors there, and I apologize in, um, in case you didn't get them, but you will eventually. I do think what you just said there actually adds something to the explanation I got out of the book that does help, and that's the perception side of it. Yeah. She's, she's very well trained in that convincing and perception side of things because she has to tell the spirits what to become and be a very clear you know mental picture of what that is she's very well disciplined it would make perfect sense she goes into another world she thinks that she's her and so she is but i'm not sure i got that from the text because here's what design says which seems to go in a, a completely different direction design says you've got a storming strong spiritual aspect highly invested in some strange way what does that mean? I took it as can affect investiture very easily and very well. Because that's at the end of the day, that's what Shalon's doing as well. She's just untrained at it, right? Separate from like Yumi literally being carrying investiture inside of her. I don't understand the question. I read it as. You've got a storming strong spiritual aspect highly invested in some strange way, as in she's more full of an investiture than a normal person. Is that different from what you're saying, or is that the same Like thing? she has more breaths, right? Like is that – Yeah, yeah. Can kind of a way to describe it? Like she's a high heightening, I guess. Exactly. I guess, yeah. I'm tracking. Or maybe it's both. All the above? It, it might be both. She's she, she's imbued with more investiture. Breaths is a really good way to think about it. I didn't think about that. 
She's she's at a certain much higher heightening than Painter is, and she has a very well trained mind and can perceive herself and manipulate the investiture way more than Painter can. Therefore, the body looks like her because she's just so powerful in that way. Okay. More more random theory time. Um so let's take Yumi's planet for a second. Where's the investiture? Uh besides the spirits, I can't think of any. I, I yeah, I was gonna say it's the spirits, right? Right. But and we'll get into it here in a second. Design has just confirmed for us that on Painter's planet, there's just investiture everywhere. The shroud it's the shroud is yeah. investiture. The heon lines are probably investiture. Um yeah. But on Yumi's planet, I don't think I know if there is investiture on the planet besides the spren that are running around. And I'll use that term loosely. Um, do, right. do you think it has any... I've had the very slight thought for a while that it's like almost the planet itself, like the heat, like everything is so hot and stuff. I know we're doing this whole like, oh, one planet's hot, one planet's cold, right? But like... Did it have anything to do with these, like, I don't know, our ritual bathings that we're three for three on now with the last, like, several episodes? I, or, like, um, just, like, the heat of the planet itself? And until you said that, I didn't think of any of this line. I didn't think anything of this line. But design, or Yumi asked design... Heat comes from the planet. Is that normal? And design says, no, that's not normal. So I wonder... Interesting. I wonder if there's... Yeah, if investiture is heat from the floor. And maybe that's why... Part of the reason why Yumi feels so out of sorts without the heat from the floor. Because she's not absorbing investiture at the rate that she normally does and like she doesn't know that what if i actually have a different theory on this later but we'll get to that what if the what if the water on her planet is the investiture do you remember when they were doing the ritual bathing spirit yumi interacted with the water yeah and nothing else maybe the ritual really bathing is just a ritual to them, but is maybe somehow empowering Yumi with investiture and is contributing to her artistic abilities. And Spirit Painter interacts with the Heon line. Yep. The Heon viewer in this episode, doesn't he? Yep. He, like, turns it on or turns it off or something. And both of them, like, kind of stop and, like, that was weird. Why, why could I do that? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting things to kind of think about as we go forward. Kind of like, hmm. Like, like that. I, I could very easily believe that as we like read on or even reread with that thought, that maybe we'd see more connections or mm -hmm. things like that. So while we're talking about investiture, design makes an interesting comment. And this is another. I think classic Brandon Sanderson, blink and you miss it, 
if you're not paying close attention, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. And then you read on. She's talking about the planet. She's talking about the investiture. And she specifically is talking about the shroud that covers the entire planet. And she calls it a miasma of raw investiture. Stormlight spoilers heading your way. Apologies for all the people who have not read Stormlight. Go, go do that because we're going to reference that a lot throughout this book. This is, I, I actually stopped on this and the, the gears in my head started turning a little bit on this. It, it seems like a semi obvious thing. But what actually caught me is in Stormlight on Roshar, we've been, at least I've been, wrestling a little bit with is everything that we're seeing over on Rashar all investiture or is there something else is there like an anti-investiture is there a dark investiture that balances a light investiture for example uh what's his name nightblood the sword mm -hmm. he exhibits this incredibly dark rather shroud-like magic the theory where we've been trying to decide like is is that investiture or does investiture have to be light or something else or can it be darkness for design to specifically reference the shroud which is like the darkest of darkness and specifically call it investiture the more i thought about it more it feels like a bit of an answer for me that all of that stuff is investiture we can have Stormlight, we can have void light, we can have whatever the heck night blood is dripping with, and we can have this massive cloud on this planet. We don't even have a name. Do we have a name for this planet? We don't even have a name for this planet, do we? Unfortunately, planet. Unfortunately, no. So during the live stream, somebody asked him that. What is the name of the system? What are the name of the planets? And Brandon Sanderson said, Am I allowed to say that? And he turned over to um his continuity editor and continuity editors like no 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 so we all we <laughs> almost got it he almost answered it but then he he <laughs> caught himself so anyway all of this stuff has if she's calling this investiture i'm now ready to kind of apply that to everything and stop my hunt for an anti-investiture maybe it's a lot too much too far of a step to go off of three words in a book but maybe yeah that's fair. I I am still as as a as a final note to that, or or or, or my response to that. I kind of still think Nightblood is anti-investiture. I know it's a totally different um, thing. I don't know if we've seen him interact with Void Light or whatnot, but I'd be curious to see him interact with other forms of investiture because all we've seen is him consume it, and it yeah. doesn't seem like a very like. The other two, the other forms of investiture don't really like interact that way, right? They don't like consume each other. Like, there's no, I mean, that doesn't mean that well, they would all do that, create, right? But yeah, you can create an atom bomb with it, but yes, yeah. <laughs> anyways, anyways, all that to say, I, I do want to, I do want to chime in on this. I'm gonna set Nightblood aside for a second because, because I think Nightblood has an interesting characteristic in consuming investiture that we need to set aside for a second. What I think is a more apt and maybe a more, an easier demonstration to make is Midnight Essence. 
Uh, Midnight Essence is like negative light leaving, but it's still investiture, right? Like it's it's like if in if if light leaving had a bad day and created six heads and four arms and like tried trying is obviously trying to be something but failing at it. I do think that is still investiture, simply corrupted investiture with a capital C. Um, and what that we we could go into a we could turn this back into a stormlight episode and talk about corrupted investiture versus normal investiture, which is not anti investiture. So the, the there's a whole there's a whole path that that we need to go down at some point before stormlight five comes out. I think now is probably not the time. That being said, I do think black investiture is either a corrupted or b anti-investiture it has to be one of those two the c colors are very deliberate in um so it, it's actually an important distinction of whether the shroud is black or like a midnight blue because that's going to be really important for how it interacts with other investiture i would willing i'd be willing to bet because design called it investiture just period that it's actually dark blue um, more the color of the book that you are, are holding, Elliot. I did actually complain when you handed this book to me that it was not black. <laughs> I I thought from a design perspective that it should have been like a black or a dark gray and could be reminiscent of the Shroud, but that's an interesting thought. Maybe it's dark blue on purpose. Just as a side note, I really appreciate that we have a full scene with design speaking fluent cosmere to me like i i greatly appreciated some some scraps of answers even though they're fully filtered through a spren who's very distracted but um this this type of scene is uh, i feast upon as a as a cosmere theorist so thank you brandon i appreciate it anything else for 17 gentlemen w one quick thing at the end of 17 here uh, Yumi and Painter turn to each other and say, we need to get back to my planet and perform the rituals and practice. But, and Painter says, or somebody says, yeah, we need to get you back to your own life. And Yumi admits in an internal dialogue that she doesn't want to get back to her own life. Um, and I think that's going to be fairly important moving forward. Yumi finally admits to herself that were she to have a choice, she would not choose to go back. Um, and uh, Painter's planet has intoxicated her to a, a free choice lifestyle that she has not missed until this point. But now that she's seen it, she will miss. So, um, Elliot, is there that there's an art piece of the noodle shop right in the book? Yeah, there is. I'll I'll go ahead and show it on screen now. What do you guys what do you guys see in this piece? I first off noticed and enjoyed the depiction of of Hoyd as a coat rack because yes. as 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 humorous as that concept is, I was having a little bit of a hard time picturing that. Like, does he just have his like fingers sticking out so that you can hang coats on his fingers and I yeah, that this this helped a lot to kind of depict that for me as you know these little prongs 
on him. I, I, I love the prongs around his head like a crown. He's got like a yeah. crown of boat rack hooks on it. Like it's, it's fantastic. For whatever reason, I was envisioning him gold, but he's not gold. Did they, why was I envisioning gold? They mentioned like copper or bronze specifically that I think it mentioned specifically design, like spray painting him copper okay. to make him look like a statue and how bothered he was by that. Gotcha. But all of these, all these art pieces in the entire book, both these ones and the kind of more color ones, all seem to have just varying shades of blue and pink. That's interesting. What I honestly noticed, and I'm probably noticing this late because I've been listening to the audiobook, where I will say the audiobook, um, at the end of these chapters, it has like a illustration description and it describes the image to you yep but i feel like we were told that yumi in painter's world was gonna look like really really out of place maybe that was because of the clothing but just like looking at the picture and how like similar they appear you know i'm like why would anyone think she seems like an alien or out of place you know right but maybe i missed something with that but and maybe it was clothing because she has her like Yokihijo spiritual garb or whatever, you know, it's very different. Um, at, but at, at the beginning of uh, 16, Painter remarks to himself that when she's wearing normal clothes, that she looks like anybody else and she could fit in uh, here. So, okay. I definitely missed that line. I think it's interesting that everybody. All the all the painters on the back table, they all have blue hair. I was noticing that too. Yumi and Nakaro have black, design has white, but all the painters in the back have blue hair. Yeah. So, do y'all know who is who in that picture? I can tell who Tojin is, because he's flexing his muscles, but... I aside from that, I don't... I assume Akane is closest to us. Um, okay. On our side of the table here, and then... Um, Izzy and um, Ma- Makana Makama. I don't remember her name. Her name. Is it, yeah, I don't remember either. Is Makan? Let's say Makana. I'm just gonna go with that confidently. I'm probably wrong. Should be the one in the corner, right? I, yeah, she's looking at a horoscope. Or who's the horoscope yeah. girl? Izzy. Izzy is the horoscope girl, and Makama's the the emo kid. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, I see. I guess it makes sense that oh, Izzy would be in the middle. Ma- no, I yeah, think. Makama is right. Is drawing her little bunny picture that she's about to give to to Yumi right in the picture. Okay, gotcha. Okay, okay, that makes sense. I was I was curious. I was just trying to get the the imagery straight. I feel like what's on the back of Design's robe here? There's like a. I was. I was trying to look at that. I can't a flower or something. I don't. I can't tell. It does look like a flower or a bouquet of flowers. Yeah, and I can't really tell anything past that. I'm gonna zoom in. I didn't notice that at all. Yeah, it just looks like a, I don't know, traditional Asian floral thing. I I don't know if there's any any hidden gems in here or not. Yeah. Anyway. Anything else for eight, chapter 18, gentlemen? You mean 17? 
Nope. Eighteen as well. Um, let's see. Bathing scene. We already talked about that. The only other mm-hmm. thing I had for chapter eighteen and kind of all these chapters really, I'm I'm really noticing that Yumi does bully painter around quite a bit. Like to the point where I'm kind of feeling sorry for Painter because like on her planet, Yumi keeps saying, My my planet, my rules and makes him do whatever she says. But then over on Painter's planet, she still bullies him around even there. And she will do stuff like, Yeah, but I want to go out to dinner, so sorry, not gonna <laughs> listen to you. Bye. And they've made the you know, has, has, they've made the rules of my planet my rules but Yumi doesn't follow them on Nakaro's no. planet so it, on both planets no. it's Yumi's rules yeah exactly it is Yumi's rules all the time she is in charge very bossy at times although Yumi's a very interesting character because she's also incredibly naive and vulnerable yeah at other times and so there's this there's this interesting switch kind of back and forth there but man she's kind of she bossy and the times that she chooses to like make a decision and go with something and the times that she chooses to halt like halt and falter herself is not always the times that you would expect like she at the beginning she's just trying to please the spirits and everything but now she'll she'll go out to to noodles with um with the gang and because she wants to and then she'll also then you know debate in her head on whether this was what this little thing was correct or not so it's really interesting especially when we're inside yumi's head on the decisions she makes and then the decisions she reconsiders so yes i also noticed that yeah not a not a massive thing but just kind of a an interesting consistent thing we're starting to see from from Yumi. Consistent inconsistency. And to close up here, we did finally get a line that I was expecting from from Painter for a while when he's stacking some stuff in chapter 18. He says, this is so stupid. Like, (laughs) he just straight up says to to Yumi and to, like, I think his attendants are right next to him as well. Um, He's just flat out says the stacking is stupid and I thought that was really funny lowly the stacking is stupid lowly yes <laughs> alright anything else for 154 gentlemen nada alright let's keep reading and reconvene next week thanks for joining me Elliot and Paul bye